The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 253 for Monday, April 5th, 2010. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab. I am Dave Hamilton here from beautiful, sunny Durham, New Hampshire. Uh, and on the other end, introducing the show today was John F. Braun here in Fairfield, Connecticut, with a similar, very nice, uh, almost summery weather. I think we're just just blowing past spring here. Yeah, we'll do spring, spring next year. That's right. And sitting next to me, of course, uh, on this beautiful spring summer day is Pilot Pete. Hi, Pete. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, John, we've had uh, if you if you kind of consolidate everything in the Mac and Apple universe together. We've had a lot happen since uh, certainly since last week when we did our premium show, but especially in the last two weeks since we've done uh, a show for the, the, the uh, non-premium feed here. So let's uh, let, let's dive right in. The, the first the first thing I think we should talk about is 10.6.3 uh, came out. I, I think just hours before we recorded the last show, and I certainly wasn't going to upgrade right uh, right before we did a show. Uh, y- you have since then, though, and I've upgraded one, but not all of my machines here. Let, let, let's talk about ten point six point three a little bit. What what have you what have you noticed? What have you upgraded everything, John? Um. Well, I've only I only have one machine that is running oh, right. Snow Leopard. That's so right. there were updates. Actually, I noticed updates also. There were updates. Uh, I believe they made a quick time and a security update to uh, Leopard as well. You so got it. I saw a few updates there. But anyways, yeah, 10.6.3. I mean, uh, it was a whopper. It was, um, depending on which uh, download you did. But no, I did the download. I did the upgrade. Um, everything is fine. We will, of course, link to their page that mentions, uh, you know, the, the enhancements. Um, some of the things that I noticed, so of course, you know, they got these generic things they always talk about, like printing reliability and an issue with iMovie and this and that. Uh, I think there's one that, that you may talk about more, Dave, uh, you know, sleep and wake when using Bonjour and stuff like that. I, I see in here, but yeah, you know, we're not going to read the whole list here, but sure. a few of the things that I noticed, uh, so there weren't, you know, big things, but there are things that always, you know, kind of give me this warm fuzzy about Mac OS X is that they're always in, in introducing these little tweaks or once you see it, you're like, gee, that kind of makes sense. So the one that I noticed and, and my, you know, Twitter pals notice this as well is um, Time Machine now um, tell you. So normally you can tell that something's happening if you look at the Time Machine uh, system preference. It'll say calculating or something kind of, you know, generic like that. And if you look in the console, you can see a little bit more detail. But now what it does is shortly after doing that, it'll tell you, I believe it says, you know, scanning items or something like that. Or count, but it gives you a sense of how many items are going to be backed up. Oh, interesting. OK, so this is something this I, I have not noticed this. Uh, I've only upgraded the, the iMac at the house. So uh, the mach- the machine I use regularly in the office, I haven't yet. Uh, and then this one, of course, in the studio will always be the last one to be upgraded because we've learned. Uh, but uh, but I've noticed in the logs before you were able to get that data, just, you know, being able to see, you know, some detail right in the console log. Is it are the console logs more, uh, you know, is there is there more happening there now, too? Or is it just this same data that's now being displayed in the UI a little bit? 
No, I, I see the same in the console. It okay. you know, tells you the amount of space that it's trying to allocate and yep. the you know, sizing and the post, you know, the pre and the post thinning and all that. So, uh, so it's just revealing a bit more to the user to give you a sense that something's happening. Because before you were kind of in the dark, you know, because it was sitting there a lot of times saying calculating. Right. And sometimes it was sitting there for a good long time because sometimes it had to, you know, I mean, it had to do a difference between the last time it saw your hard drive. So, um, so I noticed that another very small thing I noticed that I, uh, I don't believe happened before is that if you do screen sharing, um, if the other machine suddenly disappears or you power it down or something uh, on the screen, it'll come up and say, you know, disconnected. It'd give you a hint that something's wrong with the network oh. connection. I don't recall it ever doing that before. Cause it was very obvious, uh, when that came up. Um, now the one thing I did notice, and this was interesting, I thought this happened before, but I believe that they've enhanced it. And, uh, well, actually I have to link to an article, uh, Ted, um, did but um one thing they explicitly mentioned in the update is data collection and the, and what they say here is mac os 10 10 6 3 can collect diagnostic and usage usage information from your mac and send it to apple for analysis automatically i believe it already did this to some level and that it maybe just saved it in the logs here but but uh, it appears what it does now and i can see it doing it in the console so the first time this happens it'll come up and say oh you know something terrible happened can I send this information to Apple anonymously? And you got to explicitly, and, and Apple even has you know a link to an article that explains more about this. But I think this is an attempt, um, you know, for you know ninety nine percent of them. I think is is uh, flash crashing in Safari, but is <laughs> an attempt for Apple to do a better job of um, you know figuring out why things crash and and to uh, to fix it. And I also noticed that Little Snitch came up with a few more dialogues. Um, you know, saying, hey, the, the OS wants to send some information to Apple and, uh, you know, is that okay? And I'm like, yeah, sure. So, oh, um, cool. So those are the few things I noticed. Um, you may have, uh, I think you commented on this, Dave, that they do mention that they did something related to Bonjour and sleep and wake and all that. Uh, they said that they, they made it better. I, I have not seen anything about that, but I also haven't really had any problems with that. The, the whole wake on, uh, on on land thing works really really well for us and uh you, you know it, it's just automatic you try to connect to a machine and it wakes up and then you can connect to it and you're totally good to go so um yeah i, I don't know the uh i don't know the if there's anything i didn't see any problems with it before the one problem i was having was this afp issue where things were changing case Interestingly enough, that went away when I installed 10.6.3 and I thought 10.6.3 solved it. But then I noticed on all my other machines, the problem had gone away, too. This is an issue that, that we've had a couple of other listeners report in where we talked about it, where we have um, a connect to an AFP server, you know, either on another Mac or on a Mac OS 10 server machine. And the file names or folder names will change from uppercase to lowercase and back. And it gets really, really annoying. But uh, I thought 10.6.3 fixed that, but something else fixed it here. So I'm not sure what made that go away. But uh, I know that that uh, our John Martellero had another AFP issue, and that did go away with 10.6.3. So, you know, uh, please do report your uh, your findings here. So, Yeah, they, they touch. Now I'm looking farther in the list. They touch everything. Airport, date and time, directory services, file services, iCal, mail. Yeah. So everybody got a little piece of this. So yeah, that's, that, that, that's that explains. I think it was over. Yeah, again, I think it was over 100 megabytes. Yeah, mine oh. was 475 for the really? upgrade. Yeah, yeah, it's big. It's big. All right, uh, let's move on. Actually, I want to I want to talk about our first sponsor here. Uh, we have a, a comment. 
talking about, uh, you know, we, we mentioned one way to get multiple mail signatures in. Uh, and, and we had quite a few people suggest uh, that, that we use the, this product. And so we'll, we'll play one of the comments and then, and then we'll talk more about it uh, because they are our first sponsor for this show. Hi, John. Hi, Dave. This is Mr. G down in Virginia. I'll offer another suggestion on this multiple signature issue for email, and this works across all email clients. Um, basically, I use Text Expander, and I'm, I'm really into that because I have about five different Macs that I use on a regular basis, so I'm heavily invested in MobileMe syncing. Text Expander, of course, syncs via MobileMe. But what's nice is every message doesn't have to have a signature because, I don't know, to me, if your signature block is bigger than your message, you start looking a little insecure. <laughs> so sometimes I just want a signature on certain messages, and, and this method works really well. Different little trigger stub for the two or three different kinds of signatures I might use, and it uh, gives me complete control over the process. Cool. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks, Wally. And indeed, uh, Text Expander uh, is our first sponsor for the show from SmileOnMyMac.com comes Text Expander 3. Uh, it came out just last month and it uh, a couple of things change. In, instead of being a preference pane now, it's an application which gives them a little more control and a little more flexibility uh, and gives you that same control and flexibility uh, right now. And then they've added a couple of other things. They've, they've added uh, the the ability to create snippets with multiple blank fields so you could have you can have a snippet that you you blast out there and and then it's got multiple fields that you can go back in and and edit information into uh for those of you who don't know what text expander does is you create uh snippets and then these can be little bits of text they can have images in them and and they're things that you would type over and over again. And an email signature is a perfect example. Uh, you then save this into Text Expander, and their user interface makes it very easy to highlight some text or text in a picture and just pop it into a new snippet. And then you assign it a very uh, short keystroke. And th- these keystrokes can be customized. Uh, for me, you know, I have uh, different signatures, and and so I'll have instead of writing, you know, uh, warm regards, comma return dash Dave. What I do is I type W. WWR and boom, it blasts that out for me. So that's the uh, that that's kind of the concept here. And of course, you could do it with a full email signature, and I do that. Uh, you can uh, you can do it with just about anything, and of course, it works in any app because it's right there uh, in the OS. So they've they've added the ability to have multiple uh, fields in these. Uh, you can now search snippets from the menu bar. You can insert tab and return characters and they've, they've added some hotkey support so you can go in and add new snippets that way. You can, if you have multiple Macs, you can sync your text expander snippet library across your Macs. If you have mobile me, it'll do it that way. Or if you use Dropbox, uh, they'll now let you sync snippets uh, with Dropbox as well. So, you know, if you've got things that you type, even a word you, and you know, you can totally customize this. So if you have a word that you misspell a lot, well, put it, put your misspelling as the trigger and put the correct spelling uh, in as the, as the, you know, as the replacement. And then when you type the wrong word, boom, it totally replaces it. And, you know, you're, you're saving yourself uh, from yourself. Just don't outsmart yourself and do it the other way around and put the right spelling in with the wrong thing. Right. So this is Text Expander 3 from smileonmymac.com. It is $34.95. Uh, if you have a previous version, uh, you can upgrade for 15 bucks. 
And a family pack, which lets you put it uh, uh, on up to five computers in the household. It's just another 10 bucks. So it's $34.95 for the regular, $44.95. And of course, you can download a free trial and test it out from smileonmymac.com. Pete, you mentioned that Don McAllister did a uh, text expander screencast. So uh, you can check that out, too. It's this is one of those pieces of software that it helps to see how other people use it to kind of give yourself a, a starting point and springboard off from there. So we'll, uh, we'll we'll find that link and put it in the in the, the sponsor notes as well. So text expander three from smile on my dot com. And don't forget, they've also got text expander touch and you can do some of these things on your iPod, iPhone, and your iPad. The what? <laughs> nice, John. Oh, that was a segue if ever I heard one. Yeah, you know, actually, I'll, 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 we'll, we'll skip to the iPad in a, in a minute here. But, but I, I, I do want to I, I talk about some, some other Mac-related things, although I believe that the iPad falls more into the Mac camp than some of you may think, but you'll have to wait to uh, hear about that. Uh, the one thing that I haven't had a chance to do, John, since I got back from South by Southwest is sort of debrief on some of the things that I saw. We did a show kind of midstream while I was out there, but uh, but we haven't really talked about uh, any of the stuff that I saw since then. And I saw some some pretty cool things. I met with Lassie while I was out there. Lassie, of course, makes uh, makes hard drives, uh, but they do. You know, it, it, that that's an oversimplification of of what they do. They've now got, you know, there's a there's a big push now for and, and a lot of interest in having um, uh, networkable storage, network file servers in your home. Right. You've got a couple of computers and it suddenly makes sense to have some little network storage. And of course, you can set up a computer and hang a hard drive off of that. And let that manage the whole deal. But then you got to have a computer on all the time whose job it is, you know, at least in part to manage this deal. And that, you know, you don't you want to be able to let your computer go to sleep. You want to do all that stuff. So the I, the idea is you have a hard drive that plugs directly into your network. And then you're good to go, you know, and and and, and everything works. So they've got uh, these they've got a whole line of, of drives out now. Their network two line, I guess. And uh, and they're built for the the home user. The cool thing is they've got uh, they've got a, a line of enterprise products, and they can develop the software for that, and then roll it out in their home solution. So home users get all this cool stuff right out of the box uh, because the software is the same between the two. Uh, you, you know, you can buy the, the the corporate enterprise stuff, and it's got you know maybe better drives and and. Uh, perhaps faster drives are more reliable, you know, that all that sort of thing. And you'll pay more for that, but the software they're able to roll back. Uh, they've got the software that's built into these drives. They've got their, uh, let's see, their, their two big network two, which is a raid one um, device, uh, raid zero or raid raid one. So you can have uh, it stripe the drives together. It's got two drives inside it, but uh, you can have it link them together as one volume. So if you put two, one terabyte volumes in uh, with RAID zero, of course, you would have two terabytes of data and no fault tolerance. And if you mirror them with RAID one, then you have um, uh, you've got one terabyte of data and, and, and both drives are, of course, mirrored. I got that right, John, right? RAID zero and one. I didn't confuse that. Is that right? I think you did. OK, uh, but but the cool part comes in the software. So these things have a gigabit Ethernet interface on it. You plug it right into your network. The file server that's built into this thing 
uh, supports Apple File Protocol, SMB for Windows, FTP, HTTP, HTTPS, so you can connect via the web. You can connect any way you want. It's a bonjour device. It shows up as a time machine volume uh, out of the gate. So, you know, I, I think the the word is that it's not I think it's time machine compatible. It's not time machine supported because, of course, Apple doesn't support anything uh, officially other than the time capsule is network storage or a, another Mac. Um, but but it is time machine compatible. You don't have to run any funny commands from the terminal to make this stuff work. Uh, so I think it's pretty cool that they did that. And one thing that I really like that it does better than the time capsule, John, is their software lets you set uh, a quota so you can set up virtual uh, shares. You're not really partitioning, but uh, but you're saying, OK, you know, I want to have a share that's called time machine backup. and I want to give that a quota and limit it to only 300 gigabytes of data. Right. And it'll never be allowed to get more than that. If you want to, you just go into the interface and change it. So it's not it's not doing a separate partition where it's chunking off the drive, but it is, uh, you know, setting it up so that Time Machine can't totally take over your drive like it does with the time capsule or really anything else that you plug into it. So uh, so that that was kind of one of the coolest things. Oh, it's also got a BitTorrent server uh, or BitTorrent client in it so you can dump a torrent file in and it'll go and download the torrent and save it to itself without your computer being on, which I thought was cool too. You know, you know I've seen that though. I, I think, uh, yeah, it's buried in our email somewhere, but there was someone pointing out that there is a utility that allegedly reliably resizes. Um, yeah. Time machine backup, Dro- Drobo calls it time tamer. It's, well, it's an, not Drobo. It's, it's, it's something else. I saw the Drobo specific one, but there's well, something but else. To be fair, that's not Drobo specific. It's, it's hosted at Drobo's site, but time tamer oh. would work with anything. Oh, Okay. That sounds yeah. right. Yes. Yeah. Time tamer. But it right, doesn't so this work. Thing, oh, I've oh tried it, you know, okay. and I told, I talked to the Drobo people last week. They've got uh, some new products coming out that we're not quite, we're hours away from being able to talk about, I think, uh, but, uh, but disclosure agreement or something. <laughs> no, no NDA, just a, yeah. a, an embargo. Right. Yeah. But, uh, but they, and I actually asked him if I could talk about it on this show because it would have been perfect to talk about the Lassie drive. And they're like, yeah, gosh, it's just a couple of hours. If you could hold the show, I said, we don't hold the show, dude, you know, the, the, the goes out of the gate, which is too bad. But so anyway, check, check the news tomorrow morning. Uh, you know, the, there, there okay. is some cool stuff coming from Drobo, but, but yeah, they said, Oh, don't worry about it. You know, cause I asked him, I said, well, all your competitors are doing this. This is great. You, are you doing it? Like, no, but you don't need it. Like, yeah, but you kind of do because, uh, you know, your utility doesn't work because Apple sort of, you know, goes in and overwrites it. Nice. Well, the thing that really impresses me, though, is that you mentioned because I was going to say, well, you know, the time capsule in and of itself is a, a very basic mm-hmm. what I call NAS network attached, network attached storage. Right. Yes. But it's limited as far as the protocols. Once you mentioned all those protocols that Lassie supports, that's awesome. That's it, it's awesome. It, it and and you know I have to admit I took a look at the the web interface. It's not bad. It, you know it's it's not as simple as what you get from Apple, right? But then again, it's not as simple as what you'd get from Apple, right? You can do more with it. So it it it's I like it. And you know they're very. Lassie has been in the Mac market for a long time, right? I mean, they were one of the few vendors back in the kind of the dark days that that you could get regularly, get SCSI drives from and all that stuff. They they definitely grok our whole, you know, Mac uh, ecosystem here. And and, and the, the, their drives look good. They're aesthetically pleasing and, you know, it's good. So, uh, 
Yeah, we got to check these things out. It 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 looks like a, a definitely a cool thing, John. I'm trying yeah, to think. I recall they make some whopping drives too. They're usually at yeah. the forefront when it comes to huge drives. Yep. Yep. Okay. Yep. Cool. And it's got an iTunes server in it too, which I think is pretty cool. So if you want to consolidate your your iTunes library, is that what you're saying? Or? Uh, yeah, but of course, then you can't sync from it, right? It's mm. that whole happy hokey. Uh-huh. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's Apple. Why I oughta. Uh, all right. What else? All right. So related to that, we have uh, we have a, a an email from from Bob Levitas actually that would be helpful to share. And Bob says. Regarding the guy who basically wanted to have a time capsule without buying the time capsule, iOmega just came out with a $99 device that I think fits the bill. It's the iConnect wireless data station. It not only supports time machine backups, but also acts as a network drive, offers remote access over the internet, has four USB 2.0 ports, and provides the ability to stream photos, audio content, and videos to a variety of media devices, such as game consoles, audio bridges, iTunes players, pictures, frames, iOmega screenplay products, and more. Whew. You know, for a writer, that was quite a uh, run-on sentence. Uh, Use some comments there. Hi, Bob. Yeah, yeah, lots of comments. Uh, It has even more features, but those are the only ones. So uh, that's ninety-nine bucks from iOmega. There are no drives in that, and uh, and I'm trying to look at the prices here on this Lacie thing. The D2 network D2. Where am I here? Just to give it a comparison. D2 network version two. It's two twenty nine with a one terabyte drive. So oh. yeah, probably about in the same range. You know, by the time you add uh, by the time you add drives and all that stuff to it. So cool. Thank you, Bob. Uh, you know, one thing I wanted to mention. We've been talking about uh, you know, and and this iOmega thing is Time Machine compatible as well. In that the you go into Time Machine and without having done any other monkeying, the device, once it's on your network, appears in the uh, selectable list of, of backup drives. One thing I wanted to point out while we're, you know, we've been re- re- uh, revisiting this subject of having unsupported backup drives and that there's some ways to do it. And, you know, there's still the jury's still out. I asked on Twitter uh, and sort of did an informal poll and thought I had the answer of what you know what the deciding factor is because some people say oh yeah i just hang a drive off my airport extreme and it works great and some people say i hang a drive off my airport extreme and it you know doesn't show up i have to do the command line hack and uh, and everybody on twitter you know and, and this was maybe 25 people that i you know surveyed out on on twitter one evening john and it was consistent people with the dome shaped base stations could not see them could not see the drives attached in time machine people with the uh, rectangular base stations could see them. And I thought, Oh, great. I know the magic answer. And I called Pete and I'm like, dude, I and got I the answer water all over that theory <laughs> <laughs> because you can't see yours. And what kind of base uh, station? I do have you? the rectangular yeah, airport right. extreme. Yeah. The dual radio or the single radio? Uh, Ooh, good you have a single radio. I have a single radio. But, uh, my main it's, it's hanging off the right. back of a Linksys because mm-hmm. I run my VPN off a, off a Linksys right. uh, 600, but, but no, on Twitter, it was the people, even with the single radio, they could still see it. So I, I don't know, maybe, maybe they were confused. Maybe it is a dual radio versus single radio thing. And that's where the line is drawn. But here's, here's my, my word of caution, words of caution. If you use one of these unsupported drives and use the terminal hack, it will back up. Uh, and in most cases, it will back up fine and you won't have any issues. Of course, if you have issues, you know, don't call Apple. 
Uh, you can, but it'd be a waste of your time. So uh, that's part number one. Part number two, if the drive fails entirely and you have to reboot, uh, or sorry, reboot, geez, uh, it, you have to reinstall and reformat the drive, put the you know Mac OS 10 DVD in and get to the point where it says, how, what do you want to do? And you say, I want to restore my machine from a time machine backup. Well, guess what? The Mac OS 10 DVD ain't going to see that drive that's unsupported sitting out there on your network. You wouldn't be able to do the terminal hack and try it then. I don't think so, because yeah. how are you going to get to the terminal oh, at that true. stage? Not on the DVD. Yeah. Not on the DVD. Maybe right. you'd have to go to Migration Assistant or something. Yeah, or, or unplug the drive from your network device, plug it directly into the Mac, and, and then it might work. But yeah. you know, just be aware hmm. that the, the restoration process is also impacted by your, your decision to use an unsupported drive. So I throw that out there. Good one. Okay, I'm going to give you another data point because... Um, okay, go. Well, we'll yeah, it, it'll, it'll come in a later discussion, but I'll mention it now is that one thing that I recently did. So, uh, so my mom, oh my gosh, I remember. Uh, so she's had a couple of Macs in her lifetime. The first was the, uh, the, the, the good old, I think it was the G3 toilet seat one or iBook. <laughs> yes. Well, I called it the toilet seat one. I, I mean, it, it kind of looked like a toilet about. seat. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it was the aqua or, or bluish one. Yeah. Then we just upgraded her because it was getting kind of old in the tooth, but, uh, you know, it was on, uh, on Tiger, but she had an iBook G4. You know, it was pretty, pretty decent machine for its time, but it's, it's like eight to 10 years old. And eventually she called me. She's like, you know, John, I want to upgrade. You know, what do you recommend? And I'm like, uh, you know, actually, uh, from what I, you know, talking to my, uh, my friends here, I would recommend that you get a refurbished MacBook. You know, similar screen size, similar form factor, something she's used to. She was like, well, I don't know. It's refurbished. I'm like, trust me, trust me. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, uh, I, you know, I got advice from several friends. She's like, would you do it? And actually, if I had to get a machine now, I would. The thing is, when I bought my machine, I wanted to get the top of the line and there were not refurbs available at that point. Um, but anyways, no, got it. It looked new. She was like, wow, it looks new and it's white too. I mean, it's like, you know, pure white, Yeah. And, you know, no scuffs, no, you know, it didn't even look like it was handled. Um, and then we did the migration assistant and everything came over and, and, and you know, she was, and I gotta say, I love that thing. I, I still don't know if there's an equivalent, at least built into the windows world, maybe on, on seven. I'm not sure. Um, oh yeah, there might be. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, because I recently helped uh, my sister and brother-in-law with Windows 7, and as, as far as I can tell, it's just eye candy. It still kind of works the same way as far as adding devices and all that. But anyways, brought everything over with the migration assistant. It was a little bit slow. Had to run it overnight because the old machine was 100 base T, and the new machine was gigabit. So it, it took a couple hours, um, but came back the next day. And then she was like, wow, it looks the same because it brought everything over, but it migrated all the data over. So iPhoto, you know, she likes using it for photos and stuff like that. It just migrated all the data over into the new suite and even starting up Safari. She's like, where's my eBay? And it's like, oh, look, it brought the bookmarks over. So it was just, you know, I want to create as little trauma as possible. Now, what I did is snuck in there. I snuck in uh, one of my older, smaller drives that I upgraded from and plugged it in and started Time Machine. Now, the other thing is that I didn't notice because we did a software update it was slow. And I'm like, what the heck? And I did, you know, the secret, go to the airport menu, hold down, I believe it's a uh, option. Is it option? Yeah. And it yeah, shows yeah, you yeah. And, it sa- yeah. and it says protocol 802.11B. I'm like, oh my gosh, her airport is ancient too. So ordered a refurb. I think I got the single radio square refurb uh, from Apple and that should be arriving in a day or two. So I'm going to experiment and see what happens if I plug in that time machine drive into that, if it's going to show up or not. Oh well, yeah, it should. From what I hear, it should. And if it does, then I think I'm going to go with that because it's taking up a USB port and uh, 
either have to get her a hub for the number of things she has. But anyways, oh, just right. want to mention that right. because that may come into a upcoming discussion. But then you have a one more thing to mention. I think. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. I almost forgot about this and I've, I've, I, I almost skipped it before. I'm glad you said that, John, because I wouldn't have looked back at the agenda. And one thing from South by Southwest, it's not really Mac related, but it really is, is uh, that I had a chance. You know, the South by Southwest Festival is uh, interactive music and then film. And this year, one of the films that uh, was shown at the film festival was a movie called Man on a Mission, which is a movie about it's a documentary about Richard Garriott. Now, Richard is uh, someone that that uh, those of us that are a little bit older uh, may remember by his alter ego, which is Lord British. This is the guy that created all of the Ultima games, uh, which I believe eventually sold off to Electronic Arts. And now he's working with them on, on other stuff. Uh, he lives in Austin, uh, but but there's movies from all over the world at, at South by Southwest. But he, he was there. And and what he his father was an astronaut um, and, and had been up into space. And since he was a kid, Richard was obsessed with going into space, but he had some uh, vision issues that would have prevented him from heading into the uh, space program at NASA. So uh, he really, you know, kind of stumbled into the software business. The movie talks about this, but his whole focus throughout his career has been earning enough money so that he can get himself into space. And he did it. It cost him 30 million bucks. Uh, He went up with the Russians and, uh, and, and documented the entire thing, including all of his training. And then and then he brought an HD camera with him up in and he lived in the International Space Station, I think, for for seven days or say, eight days or something. And, and he was up for a total of 12 days. Really, really well done movie. And it was cool to see, you know, he showed his old Apple II that uh, that he wrote Ultima on. He kept that. And uh, and it was it was an excellent movie. Unfortunately, it has not yet been picked up by any movie studios. So there's no way for you to see it. But what they did say was uh, one of the things or two of the things that the the studios actually look at is they look at how many fans the Facebook Facebook group has and how many pre requests there are in people's Netflix queues for a movie. And that's how they, that's, you know, two of the big factors that they use in deciding, you know, is there enough interest here for us to spend our money and, and market this? Uh, Richard Garriott certainly has the money to market it. Uh, and my guess is if a mo- movie studio doesn't pick it up, he'll go ahead and do it himself because he's just that kind of a guy. But, uh, but, you know, it's, it, it, if and when it comes out, and I think it's more of a win than if, uh, Definitely, you know, check it out. It, it, you know, for me, it was great from from all angles because I very interested in space flight and, and also obviously was a huge fan of the Ultima games as a kid. So I actually got to meet Richard and his father were were there. So we chit chatted a little bit. He is uh, most definitely not a Mac guy. Uh, he never has been. He's always been a, a he was an Apple II guy, obviously, for for years. And, and now he's a uh, he's a Windows weenie. But. We won't hold that against him too much, but, uh, you know, there you go. So definitely check that out. It's uh, yeah, I think I think you'll enjoy it. John, you you especially, man, you would you would love this. Cool. Check mm-hmm. it out. All right. Moving on. Where, where are we here time wise? Uh, let's get a feel for for what's going on. You know, I, I want to talk about our second sponsor before we talk about the iPad, because I have a feeling you're going to have a lot of questions about the iPad and I'm going to have to. Uh, I'm going to have to answer them, and this might take some time, and I don't want to put off our our second sponsor, which is Circus Ponies. Uh, Their notebook product is an electronic 
organizer uh, that allows you, you start off when you open it up, you create a new notebook and you start off in a hierarchical view. It's a white lined paper uh, analogy, right? You see that up in front of you, you can start typing and tab in and out, but then you can pull things in. You can pull pictures in, you can pull in PDFs, you can pull in, uh, you know, all different types of media. You can pull in sound files and then you uh, can start annotating these things. If you have a fax that you got as a graphic file, you can scan that and it'll convert the fax into text and you can organize this stuff. Pete, I, I think you, you use Notebooker and your son uses it for his classes. I do. And he, and as does he, and uh, I love it. And one of the uh, more useful functions for me was uh, recently as I went through uh, upgrade training on the MD 11, I was able to keep my class notes in the notebook and then here's a, a hidden feature in there. It will publish to HTML. So I was able to publish my notes to my server, my web server, and then access them from anywhere. Uh, even if I didn't have my laptop with me, oh. I could still get get into it and look through things and share the gouge. Right. Pilots will understand that. Share the gouge with uh, people in my family so or uh, class. Very so, cool. Yeah. Okay, and that's uh, that's Circus Ponies Notebook. It's at circusponies.com. It is available. Of course, there is a 30-day trial, so you can download it right now. Check it out for free once you're hooked. $49.95 for a standard license. Uh, $29.95 if you are a student at, uh, I believe, college all the way down. So uh, go check this out, circusponies.com. Now, it's time, John. Uh, I want to talk about the iPad. well, we're kind of late to the game here, Dave. Well, I, w- yes. I want to I want to pimp both pimp myself yeah, and and Jeff Gamet, uh, Jeff Gamet. Mm-hmm. So Jeff was on the Mac Jury. I was on Mac Roundtable, um, and we both had a we both had our say. So yeah. we we'll link to we already linked to those uh, today. So you're going to get more than enough opinion about this. I think I'm the only person. Uh, I, I almost feel like invasion of the body snatchers, and I'm the <laughs> only person that has not yet been been taken over by the pod Who people. Succumb in that. The pad, people, pre- John. pad people, the, yeah. the pad people, pod people, pad people, same thing. But anyways, I think I'm one of the few that, um, well, some people don't have it because the 3G is not available yet, but, right. but I right. at this point have no intention. So, so I will challenge you in some of your statements, but, but I will let you go ahead, Dave, because you did. Uh, did now, did you pre-order or I did. did you just walk in? Okay. No, no, I, I pre-ordered. I knew we were going to, you know, this was of course also Easter weekend and, uh, and I knew we were going to have family up and a lot going on. So I just figured out I'll, I'll pre-order and I'll leave a note at the house. And, you know, if we're here when they show up, great. If not, you know, I'll have it. So I got it Saturday. Um, and you know, the first thing, uh, that I thought was insane. My son and I sat down once we, uh, you know, once we got in the thing, he opened the box and I said, go ahead. And he said, can I turn it on? I said, yeah, turn it on. And the first thing I noticed was out of the box. The thing is a brick. You can't do anything with it until you plug it into a computer and, uh, and, and connect it to iTunes and, 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 authenticate the thing, which I think is crazy. Well, it's uh, like an iPod or, exactly. or iPod touch or an iPhone. Exactly. The same OS at this point, but I agree with you. It's, it's not an out of the box appliance, right? It, it should be though. And, and so here's, mm-hmm. you know, here's the thing. Uh, I, I still see this as being the replacement for the low end MacBook 
probably in about might be 18 months, maybe two years. But but I don't think it's going to be any longer than that, that that this thing will take it. You know, this whole thing about Apple saying, uh, you know, you have your iPhone and you have your MacBook Pro. Uh, and now we've created this device in the middle. That's a bunch of malarkey. Nobody wants another device in the middle. I mean, I already travel with my iPhone and my MacBook Pro. I don't want a third thing that I got to lug around with me. Uh, so I, I really believe that that in time, uh, especially not only as as uh, developers develop more apps for it and provide Lyft, but but as Apple changes and opens up the software and makes it less of what we know today is the iPhone and more of its own kind of product. I, I really think that it, it, it will uh, in their product line, completely replace the the laptop, uh, at least the low end laptop. There might be some room for a high end laptop, but, but I think the low end laptop goes away with this, with this device. And I think it could go away for about 80% of the people right now, but, uh, but, but no one is ready to, to make that, uh, to make that leap yet. So, Mm. That's, you know, I would, if I could bring this point up now, having mm. done a migration, I would disagree because I'm going to give you the scenario that the, you know, my mom does right now, Yep, uh, has a camera that I got her recently really likes it. We'll go over to the computer. We'll plug it into the USB port. Yep. It will suck the pictures out into iPhoto and she can then print them. Um, so the, the one current, thing you're missing on the iPad is the ability to print. Um, how about plugging the camera into the USB port? Uh, that it's uh, yes, it's possible. Just like with your your iPhone, you can you can do it with the camera connection kit. It's I, I think the camera connection kits. I don't think they ship this weekend, but they'll be out you know in the next week or so. But but yeah, yeah. Okay. Are, are so there that not, will, are there not utilities that you can use to print from your iPhone? And there are uh, or that, apps rather. That's right. You can print pictures and uh, uh, yeah, you can definitely print pictures from your iPhone. It's it's but you got to go through a computer to do right, it. Right. Yeah, oh, it's, okay. it's okay. not a direct thing. And and oh. printing from the iPad is something that has to come. There's I mean, there's no question for the device's future. It's going it's got to come and it will come, um, especially with, oh. you know, they've got uh, uh, not word uh, pages, pages. Yep. and. Yeah, and such it's going to come. You're going to want to be now. Right. Now, what about and this is the other thing right now. OK, so so I buy I buy that. And also, yeah, and I, I have the HP app, for example, that lets you print photos and it does a great job. Okay. As long as you have a recent HP uh, HP inkjet printer. Got it. Oddly enough. Um, is there iPhoto on the iPad? Yes. Well, uh, no photo viewing. It's the same photo viewing that you've got on your on your iPhone. Uh, or, okay. your, or your iPod touch. Yeah. So I would say you probably want either iPhoto, which I think is, and, and, and that's something that, that she's used to as far as, you know, it has events and you can caption things and, and, you know, export it to web pages and stuff like that. I, I would say if you had a version of, all right. It, it, uh, and I'm wondering if they're going to have a version of iPhoto for the iPad. Well, you so, know, so if, if that all comes together, then I would say, yes, that's one use case where it would satisfy the current. And thing. I think currently there are third party apps that will, well, there are definitely third party apps that'll let you do a whole lot more to your photos than than the built in crap does. Uh, but uh, but yeah, more coming and yeah. they're free. Most that's of right. them. Yeah, you could yeah. pay if you want. Right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Picasso yeah. would be nice. Maybe they'll port that over. I doubt it. Not Google. No, 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 no. no. no they, not, they want you to not, buy an Android not, phone. Ah, uh, right. OK, so go on. So I just <laughs> want to bring that one use case yeah. where if they if they got to that point. Um, yeah, that that would that would. Yeah. And I think printing's a no brainer, you know, I th and I think a lot of the, the big things that people are complaing about right now is uh, are, are things that we will see 
resolved this summer when Apple announces uh, version 4.0. Now, I don't know for certain when they're going to announce it, but presumably it'll be, you know, at or about WWDC. And in, in fact, as an aside, I think that's why we haven't heard the dates for WWDC yet, John, because I think Apple's waiting to announce it uh, when they're certain that they'll be able to to put a, put on a good showing of what iPhone OS 4.0 looks like um, and, and hopefully have a dev kit available for people right then and there. So I, I think that's why we're, we're delayed on finding out about WWDC. But anyway, uh, yeah, it, it's, you know, right now the, the iPad is this weird device because it really is nothing more than a large iPod touch, right? I mean, that's what, that's what it is. And, uh, you know, you were saying in the pre-show, John, what can I do with the iPad that I can't do with either my iPhone or iPod touch or my laptop? And and the answer is nothing. There's nothing. In fact, there's things your laptop can do that the iPad can't do. And of course, there's one thing that your iPhone can do that your iPad can't. And that is make calls. But, uh, uh, you know, it it and, and that's the point is as the iPad's capabilities expand enough they will i i i'll be surprised if the ipad ever gets to the point where it can do everything that my macbook or macbook pro could do now you know i I don't think audio hijack pro is something that's ever going to exist right i don't think uh you know text expander right it exists but it can't be run system-wide you have to run the app or run an app that's in that's got text expander embedded into it but uh but you can't run it system-wide and and that's going to be the limitation of this thing. But I, I really don't I, I think for at least the low end laptop market, I think most people don't care as much as they think they care about that stuff. Uh, now, are there apps, though, that run because I can certainly see with the larger screen real estate like, you know, I can certainly surf on my iPad touch. It's not always entirely pleasant and it's sometimes <laughs> awkward and res- resizing. But I do have a lot of apps. And I see you mentioned some here, Dave, which I would think just having more screen real estate would make them nicer. Like I'll pick one out here. E-Trade. I have E-Trade for the iPod touch. And it's nice, though it's limited in the amount of information it presents on the touch or the iPhone just because of the screen size. And I see you have a whole list here, and I would suspect some of these you are going to get. And then there's the book thing. For example, I tried. I can't download iBooks. They're only making right. that available to iPad owners, not iPod Touch or iPod, iPhone owners, which I thought is, why wouldn't you want to? I mean, maybe it would just be so awkward that you wouldn't even want to bother. Uh, I will take the book conversation and 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 just set it uh, on the back burner for a moment. I, it's something I definitely want to get to, but let's let's talk about the the screen real estate thing. Uh, and you're right, the E Trade app on the iPod or the iPhone, it's it's a it's cramped, and it I, I don't get the, what I need. It's like I can if I if I have to go in and see my accounts, I can do it, but otherwise I'm not compelled to launch the app on the iPad. I want to launch that app. It's gorgeous it's so cool the way the layout is another one that's just like it is weatherbug you know i use it on my iphone because it's convenient but pulling up the map and trying to get forecasts and this that and the other it, it the data's there but you know it it's like you know it's a necessary evil like on the ipad the weatherbug elite app which is free right now folks uh, is freaking awesome I mean, it looks great so pete you 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 you're chopping yeah, I, I at the do, and I, I really wanted to jump in on that screen real estate thing because yeah. we have a saying in aviation um you know as your workload goes up in the airplane uh you, you tend to view your data through a straw is is what it comes it, you know as, as things come in your peripheral vision goes down and everything that's going on around you 
uh, you start to get down and very focused on the one or two things that you need to watch to keep you alive. Um, and to back that off, it's a similar analogy, obviously not the same, but many years ago I bought a uh, an HP handheld um, and I thought, oh, this will be great. I'll be able to take it on the road and do all my email and, and limited web surfing and that sort of thing. And that lasted about four months and it got to the point where I, I didn't even bother to break that thing out because it was so clatchy and so slow and so limited on the data. The iPhone took that and the iPod Touch took that and they hit a home run, but you still couldn't replace that laptop on the road for basic web surfing, basic email, that kind of stuff, because you're feeling like you're looking at your data through a straw. And I think that that's where the iPad is going to, it's certainly going to kill the netbook market. Um, Mm. I I think for the people that are willing to go for a high-end netbook, uh, and the screen real estate is beautiful. And like you say, most of the apps that I've opened so far are just, I mean, they just jump out at you with the, the resolution. And it's kind of like, oh, well, that's neat. Wow, that's really well done. And I haven't looked at a computer screen like that in years. Yeah. And and so it's, it's a really nice feeling to look at that and go, okay, it's got some limitations. And as you said, I think some of them are going to go away. The printing and that sort of thing, it's got to come. Yeah. Uh, and when it does, I, I see this as replacing my MacBook Pro on the road because on the road, I don't do a lot of video processing and, and I need the pro power for the videos and the photos and that kind of stuff at home. But mm-hmm. but on the road, it's mostly basic email, web surfing, those sorts of getting my schedule, you know, what's the, and, and now this is going to be great because I found that the app, uh, I think it's called Goodreader. I can put PDF files on yeah. there and look, all my flight manuals are on there. My flight operation manuals on there. All the data that I need to have with me in about 12 binders is now on that iPad. And boy, is that slick. Yep. So. Now, let me ask you this. Yeah. Um, so all the apps that you list here, I'm going to assume that these are all versions that were specifically updated or retooled for the iPad. Yeah, that that's right. That's right. I, I, and, and what John's referring to is I just made a list of, of apps. I don't want to talk about every single one of them, but, you know, things that jumped out at me. So I so I made a list that we'd have some discussion points and, and obviously we've been hitting some of those. But, yes, every single one on that list is an iPad, either iPad native or what they're calling a universal app, which has. Uh, the ability to run either on the iPhone or on the iPad and is full res on the iPad. Yeah. Okay. Because that was kind of a mini rant that uh, I had on the uh, podcast I mentioned before, Mac Roundtable, was it, it just, uh, maybe this is just that the, uh, you know, the uh, iPhone OS, which is, you know, I guess a subset of OS 10 is kind of evolving that, uh, you know, as a software type of guy, it's usually not good practice to, kind of assume things about your environment like the screen size and it sounds like that the the apps that have not been specifically retooled do not upscale well i think there's a 2x button where you can make the things get bigger but they typically don't look very nice i guess they're they're rasterizing versus uh vectorizing so yes yeah that's um, right yeah it you know the up until what two months ago every app that was developed in the iphone os knew that it was going to be uh, whatever the resolution of the iPhone or iPod touches 480 by whatever it is, 480 by 320, I think, if I'm if yeah, I'm not mistaken. That sounds right. Uh, yeah. And, and there's tons of those apps and they do. They run fine on the iPad, but it, it the only way to see them full screen is to pixel double it. And it's less than optimal. It It's, you know, like you said, John, it's jaggy and it, it works. It's OK. And some stuff is better than others, but only be, only by luck of the draw. I, I think, you know, nobody's doing vector art on it 
Um, and it wouldn't support that anyway. It's just pixel doubling that the app, it, in fact, they are doing vector art, but what's happening is the vector arts being rendered at 480 by, by, by 320 or whatever it is. And then that's being pixel doubled up by the iPad itself. So there is no ability for the app vendor uh, to say, Hey, just, you know, just take what I'm doing and pixel double it, or, you know, and, and redraw it uh, in a smoother way. If you want to do that, you have to code specifically for the iPad, which can be done in the same app. So you can have one app that just works on both. Uh, and there's plenty of those. So, okay. But out of yeah. the box, you have a potential library of all the existing apps. They may just not look very right. Uh, look as nice as they could. And now, uh, now I'm hoping that most vendors are not going to, nail people to like pay again for an app just because they retooled it or will they, or I, they, I think, think so. it depends on, I think it depends on the vendor. And I'm wondering if that's, well, if it's just to correct it, to look right, then I would say that that's bad. If it's to give it more features, like you hinted right. E-Trade, I mean, it's totally different. They had to do, you know, it sounds like a redesign that I would agree that, that you, know, you probably should be entitled to charge for the effort involved in, in it, redeveloping it or exactly. adding features. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, E-Trade's free either way, but uh, well, the, the app is free either way. I mean, you, you pay E-Trade in other ways, right? <laughs> oh, but, yes. Yeah, of course. But but yeah, I you know, I don't, I, I bought a bunch of new games and, and a bunch of new software this weekend, and I didn't really have any hesitation about it. Uh, because of what you said, I mean, it's, it's not like they just went in and said, uh, yeah, just make it bigger. You know, they, 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 they wrote it for this new device. Now, uh, the interesting thing was for most of these apps, I would say 99% of them, you know, we were running them at the same time. The developer was running them for the first time on the hardware. They were all able to do it in the, in the emulator, but uh, but most developers did not get their hands on an iPad until Saturday. Right. You know, so there's some quirkiness and some bugs. But for the most part, the stuff runs pretty well and and updates are you know coming out in droves. So, uh, yeah, in 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 kind of in wrapping up and I don't know if this will actually wrap us up, but to summarize, I, there's nothing about this device out of the gate that is revolutionary. And, oh, I it, without this, I never was able to do X. Right. It's. It's a new concept. It's almost not even ready for prime time. I mean, it works fine, but there's nothing about it that you say, oh, I have to have one of those. Uh, but thankfully, you know, enough people are interested in it that it gives the developers a platform to continue to develop for. And and there's that there's going to be that lift that happens. And as that hits critical mass, uh I, you know, I think I think it'll I think it'll take over the, the MacBook, certainly um, probably maybe not the MacBook Pro, just because I, I think there's there's still going to be a market for a portable pro level machine. But mm -hmm. uh, but, it, you know, in general, I, I really do. I, I still see it as, as that MacBook replacement. The, the form factor is great, uh, you know, and, and, and we'll talk about the books thing, but I'll, I'll let you ask a, 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 any other questions you have before we dive into that part of it, John. Well, actually, you know, I like the, uh, I see Peter made a point on, uh, you know, our chat room here. And actually, I would tend to agree with that. I think they've, to, so Pete's point here is uh, don't Apple TV it. Yeah, no kidding. And ah. I see the difference here in that Apple TV right now, and I think this is already where the uh, iPad uh, is different. The Apple TV is strictly a iTunes consumption vehicle. Yeah. Uh, iPad, you're not stuck with just iTunes. Well, well, you are in a sense, but you're not <laughs> stuck with just content from Apple. So, so right, that, right. It, it, so that you know, like people are saying, Netflix. You can do Netflix and uh, yeah, and other things. Huge. So it is huge. 
So, so maybe they've learned from their mistakes in the, you know, the Apple TV, I think is not, it could have been more successful if they opened it up more like a TiVo, but they decided to never do that. Sling player. I got my sling player app working on it. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. Now is the sling player app uh, iPaded or is it still pixel? Um, I think it's still pixel doubled. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Hopefully they'll iPad it. Yeah. Yeah. I would imagine they would. All right. So the the one part I wanted to talk about separately, as I said, is the whole ebook thing. Uh, as many of you probably know, I'm a Kindle user. I have been for a while, probably years, if if memory serves. And I really like the experience of reading on the Kindle. That electronic ink, non-backlit thing has always been uh, something I really, really liked. And I, I've tried other, you know, backlit things. And and, uh, and I really, you know, I, I tried as best as I could, John, to go into... Uh, reading on the iPad uh, in in his uh, with as open a mind as was possible for someone who didn't like the concept of reading on a device like the iPad <laughs> uh, and and Amazon to their credit you know the Apple obviously has their their iBook uh, app and store that's you know uh, available for the iPad it's actually not built in you have to download the app but it came right down and it's free um, then of course you buy books. But Amazon also right out of the gate. In fact, even before the iPad arrived, I had the Kindle Kindle or the iPad eyes version of the Kindle app. And it works on the iPhone, of course, and also works full screen on the iPad. So Saturday night, I thought, all right, fine. So I synced up my the book I was reading down to the uh, to the iPad and which worked great. You know, from the Kindle, it remembered my place in in uh, where I was in the book. It synced up through Amazon's WhisperSync and. And I started reading and, you know, it's like 10 minutes. I thought this totally sucks. And so I put it away and I went to sleep. And then I thought, thought, well, maybe my eyes were tired. I, I I can't just write this off after one test. You know, I got to try this again. So I sat down with it and I started monkeying around with Apple's app. And I noticed Apple's app has a little uh, brightness slider in the settings for, for the app. And I thought, Oh, you, maybe I should monkey with the brightness. So I went into the Kindle app and sure enough, the Kindle app has a brightness setting too. Now this, Brightness doesn't impact the system wide. It just impacts the the book pages, essentially, that it displays. And so I set that down. And instead of being black on white, I set it to black on sepia. And I set the brightness way down. And I started reading. And an hour later, I thought, oh, it's time for bed. And I thought, wait a minute. Holy, holy moly. Uh, I'm, I read for an hour on this thing, and I didn't hate it. Uh, my guess is I still like the Kindle better, but... This was certainly good enough that I'm considering, uh, you know, hopefully my wife's not standing outside the window here. Uh, I'm considering letting her have my Kindle. You know, we haven't we haven't expressed that at home yet. I'll take it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Thanks, Pete. Uh, But uh, yeah, you know, it it really it worked well. Now, that was one night and I had one bad night, one good night. So I got to try this again for a week and see how it goes. But uh, but, you know, I, I think it's it certainly has potential to be a decent ebook platform and maybe a great ebook platform, but uh, a little bit of time. Well, one thing you won't be able to do is take it to the beach and read in the bright sunlight. I bet not comfortably, not like the Kindle. Yeah. That's that's where e-paper is clearly superior. Yeah. In the bright sunlight. I love my Kindle at the beach and settings like that. Mm. And I don't, I, I haven't taken it outside in the sun yet, but I, don't think it'll compete. No, it's got to have yeah. glare all over the thing. Yeah. yeah. I'll see all my fingerprints instead of the uh, text of the book. Yeah. I didn't think about that. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. 
we haven't really had a whole lot of sunlight until this weekend. So, yeah. So you, you had something to, on that, John, or did you? Nope. No. Okay. We're okay. Do we have anything more on uh, any of this stuff here, John? Anything to add? Anything to talk about? Um, I think we're done with the iPad. All right. Good. Um, where do we go from here? Well, you know what? We'll, we'll answer Donnie's question. We'll just roll from there. And here's what Donnie had to ask. Hi, this is Donnie from Wisconsin. You sure? I uh, wrote to you guys a while ago about <clears throat> some issues I was having with my Mac. And when I would move the mouse or just do anything, uh, it would kind of pause and cause me some stuttering issues with the screen. Um, you know, you advised a couple different things that it was probably a hardware issue. Well, I brought it to Apple. Uh, they were checking into it, and they actually broke my computer. So they replaced my 24-inch iMac with a brand-new 27-inch iMac with this new SD card slot in it. This prompts my new question. Uh, just out of curiosity, is that SD card slot in the side next to the SuperDrive any faster than just taking my standard SD card, plugging it into a USB adapter, and plugging it into a USB port? Uh, I'm guessing that USB or that uh, SD card adapter is run off of the same interface as the USB, so it's probably the same speed. But I was just curious as to if that is actually any faster or not. Um, yeah, just a slight curiosity, I guess. All right. Uh, thanks, Donnie. John, you, you, you and got this. We are going to satisfy that curiosity because here is the answer. And this is an article I found at Apple. Uh, it's their article, HT3553. And oddly enough, um, so his speculation, well, I'm just going to say what they say. Your Macintosh has a maximum speed of 240 megabits per second for SD media using the SD card slot. Which is weird because, you know, Dave, that's almost exactly half. As a matter of fact, it is exactly half of the bandwidth of USB. So I'm wondering if they're like using half of the USB channel or what. But this is Apple's statement. So the thing is, it is slower than USB 2.0. Now, the thing is, for now, yeah, again, I I don't think it's a coincidence that it's half of, uh, you know, USB 2 being uh, 480 megabits per second. Is is there any indication that maybe one of the other USB ports in the Mac is also limited to half? I mean, did they somehow... Even if you've got things sharing a bus, they they well, they share. Right. And unless one is one needs all of it, they don't artificially limit each other. I didn't take the time to actually or if I if I had the machine and I looked in the system profiler, then I think you may be able to tell. But anyways, the thing is, um, this should not be a concern in the short term because poking around the fastest SD or I guess they call them SDHC card that you can get right now. Yeah. Max out at about 30 megabytes per second. Um, I think they're called class six cards, which covers a wide range of speeds. But the thing is, guess what? 30 megabytes per second comes up to 240 megabits per second. So um, if you have, even if you have, as far as I can tell, the highest speed SD card, the SD slot in the Mac will not currently limit you. But once those cards get faster, then you may want to consider using a USB 2.0 adapter. So that's, that's that's my answer. That's weird. Why would they limit it? Maximum speed. And it, and it says your Macintosh has a maximum speed of not the fastest you'll be able to transfer because the cards are limited is kind of thing. Huh. 
Yeah. All right. I mean, it could be like the uh, thing they did with the SATA, which is their, uh, you know, for whatever reason for system architecture, uh, you know, because we had that debate where, uh, or the things where, where you, our machine, for example, Dave, I think could do SATA 2, which is three gigabits per second, but we are crippled down to one and a half. Right. Well, you and know then, what? With this, I wonder, John, it, it, and the only way to research would be to survey, you know, six different uh, USB to SD you know, USB two to SD card uh, adapters, you know, third party and see what they say for their max speeds. Maybe it's a chipset thing, right? Maybe there is mm-hmm. no USB two to SD interface bus that will go faster than this. Right. I mean, Apple's got a, they probably didn't design this chip themselves. They probably just said, Oh, you know, go buy the one from so-and-so in, in Taiwan. Mm-hmm. And, and it, you know, the chipset might be the limitation there and there may simply be no faster version. Uh, that's interesting. Well, actually I'll, I'll benchmark because I do have, okay. well, I don't, we don't have the, I don't have the Mac with the SD, but I do have a third party um, USB two based. Okay device that reads the uh, SD card. So I'll see what sort of bandwidth I can get out of, the, out of those. Because I think I have a Class 6 card kicking around somewhere that I use for doing movies and stuff. I, I'm checking on, on Pete's here. His, uh, his USB is uh, the USB high-speed bus lists 480 and 480. But the internal memory card reader, interestingly, the internal memory card reader in System Profiler says up to 480 just like the rest of the usb bus so hmm. uh yeah that's that's huh interesting so we'll link to that article but that's the official word from apple yep. for uh for now cool all right uh should we do uh steven or mr who, who, who do you want to do next john i i think mr y may have yeah. enough depth to kind of wrap us out of here huh? wrap us out of here okay yeah. yeah this is good okay mr y Hello, John and Dave. This is Mr. Y calling. Don't want to be confused with Mr. X. Listening to your show where you're talking about erasing uh, the free space uh, on a drive as well as doing a 7 or 35 pass erase uh, when you're giving away or selling a used Macintosh so that no one can retrieve your data. What is the proper procedure for those that now have solid-state drives in our machines? Would not a 7-pass or a 35-pass be very detrimental to that drive? Uh, Is that not like uh, defragmenting, or is that an appropriate uh, measure to secure a solid-state drive on a Mac that you are selling? Just wanted to see your advice on that. Thanks. Yeah, so so this gets interesting, right? The, 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 The... to start, the idea is that on a uh, platter of, you know, a mechanical drive, the the physical platter of the drive can hold data. Even if you overwrite, uh, you know, if you have a, a file stored in one block and you overwrite that block, in theory, you can dig through and, and get a latent image and it can go down what what's five or six levels. Right, John? Yeah, that's my understanding. If uh, though, I think you know the people that can do this are are few and far between, or you know, various three three that are agencies. But I right. think that's why the recommendation for a lot of these erase procedures is either a seven pass, or if you want to totally get rid of a thirty five passes. I don't think okay. the, most people can dig beyond that. So, so based on my understanding of people that do the forensics here, uh, that that's a they have a memory back to 
uh, seven reader write cycles. Okay. Or write cycles. All right. And, and so SD is a little different because a, it's a completely different medium and B uh, one of the first things you hear is you don't want to overwrite. Um, you know, they have a limited write cycles per, uh, per block or per memory cell. So uh, the, the interesting part here is I started to research this. I did not know the answer, John, and, and I'm not sure I still do, but, uh, but there's some interesting data that came up is, you know, with a physical drive, with a mechanical hard drive, rather, when I say I'm going to overwrite block 1252, I am overwriting block 1252. There's no question about this. Uh, on an SD drive, though, even if I say go ahead and erase block 1252 and now I want to write this to block 1252, well, the drive might decide, yeah, uh, we're going to go ahead and block, uh, you know, mark block 1252 is as free and that's all good. But when this write request comes in, you know, I've already got a block that's empty. So even though you think you're writing to block 1252, you're writing to the new block 1252. And uh, and we're just going to go ahead and give you that. And the old one might still be out there totally uh, and marked as erased, but not even erased once, let alone seven times or 35 times. So uh, doing a single pass through the entire disk should, in theory, overwrite everything once but even then it might not because some things are reserved for um you know if there's a problem with the driver a block becomes bad you know they there's usually some in reserve so it that gets, it gets very very iffy there there is one thing that i found john and it was called called secure erase and apparently the firmware of some of these ssd drives support what's called secure erase and if you send a command to it and say i want you to securely erase this block it'll say ah yes okay uh you know it's going to take two, twice as long because not only do i have to erase it now i need to go and override it but uh but that will you know in theory stay on the same block but that's per drive and and some you know some models support it and some models don't so i don't know if you found anything on on your end with this john but it's it, very interesting and you don't want to do a 35 pass no matter what you probably don't even want to do a seven pass i don't think you get any benefit out of it uh, and you'd you know, reduce the life of your drive significantly. Yeah, I'd, uh, because I don't believe memory has the same characteristics as far as, uh, yeah. I was poking around a little more, and I did find uh, some articles here. I see if we can find more, maybe for the show notes or just for our education here. But yep. uh, I see references to magnetic force microscopy and all these ways of recovering the data, because I guess what, what's happening is that you're not really, yeah, as we stated, you're not really fully, when you when you do a rewrite, you're not really fully uh, getting rid of what was there before. And, right. uh, and again, so the, the platter magnetic media has has this uh, memory, which I don't believe the memory cells, I, I think the memory cells may may have some form of that, but certainly not at the level that the, you know, the magnetic media people. Yeah, I think you're right. And, and as Pete points out, and I, I did, I stumbled onto other people suggesting this, and this is good advice. Uh, if you encrypt your entire drive using something like TrueCrypt or PGP whole disk encryption, uh, then, it, you know, you're in better shape because it even doesn't matter, it doesn't matter. That's right. Even if it's even if the data is not erased, it was encrypted to begin with. So who cares? Which is interesting. So uh, maybe that's, uh, you know, and now PGP whole disk encryption works with uh, Snow Leopard. Yeah. Right? And, yeah, and uh, someone asked me the other day, and I told him I thought the answer was no. If you got hold, that's a 256-bit hash. Yeah, NSA is not going to get into that even, right? Uh, <laughs> you oh, really? just never know there. You never. Well, of course. They, well, they'd tell us. They'd tell us if they could, right? <laughs> yeah. Yes, Pete. That's right. <laughs> 
I don't think they can. They, they can't tell us. They can't even tell us they exist, right? Or, you know, the best thing, if you don't want to worry about your, uh, you know, drive memory, uh, I've seen these these devices. I don't know if you've seen YouTube videos of these. They have hard drive shredders. Yeah. It's cool. almost like your paper shredder, but they're meant to shred hard drives instead of paper. And the, it, yeah, and the, you know, once it's broken, I think we saw them at one of the Macworld shows. I mean, once it's broken up into a million different little pieces, I doubt someone's going to be able to put it back together again. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, we got to remember, well, we remember, we need to help you folks remember how to contact us. Uh, and the thing we like most is audio comments, I, I think. I don't know. I guess I go back and forth on that. One well, way to contact do. us is audio comments. 206-666-GEEK is the phone number you can call to leave us a voicemail. Ah, uh, yeah, that's 4335, of course. Of course. If you don't have a phone with both letters and numbers on it. <laughs> that's right. We'll help you out with that. Um, and then, you, you know, you can also email us. And, and um, I just want to say, please, please, although, uh, unless you have a specific reason to get in touch with either Dave or I specifically, Feedback at MacGeekGap.com is an email address that goes to both of us so we can both see it and confer on, uh, on things like that. So, uh, so please use that unless you know, you got a specific reason not to. Again, Dave, that was feedback at MacGeekGap.com. I'm pretty sure I heard you say feedback at MacGeekGap.com, John. And if you are a premium subscriber, feel free to use the premium at MacGeekGap.com address. That kind of puts it into a different queue and lets us manage uh, the 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 stuff differently so it's uh but they all come to john or i it doesn't really matter which one you use but uh but but you know try and try and keep them straight if if you can we'll try and keep them straight on our end if you try to keep them straight on your end you can also skype to us at mac geek gab and uh and you can leave us uh itunes comments which to which we cannot reply but uh but but go ahead and leave them out there uh for the rest of the world to see. We yes. appreciate that. And we're usually hanging out on Twitter. If you'd like to uh, tweet us tips or tricks or suggestions or whatever, um, my feed is John F. Braun. Dave's is Dave Hamilton. Pilot Pete is Pilot Pete. And then, of course, the show has Mac Geek Gab as the show feed. Yep. And there's also Mac Observer if you want to see what, what Mac Observer is up to. That's right. Uh, Michael Johnston, who converts this feed uh, into AAC for us and for you, uh, does the This Week in iPhone podcast. All the bandwidth is provided by Cashfly, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y. And the podcast marketplace this month includes the A2 desktop speakers from Audio Engine, Yojimbo from Barebones Software, Text Expander 3 and Text Expander Touch from Smile on My Mac, Notebook from Circus Ponies, and visit gotoassist.com slash gab uh, for GoToAssist Express from Citrix. Oh my goodness, we ran out. We'll just start that up again and we'll get out of here. I just got to build a longer loop there, John, I think. Well, the band wanted to enjoy the weather, man. They wanted to take five. Can't blame them. Have fun. Enjoy the weather. Don't get caught. Made up.